Listener Production. Hi, I'm Helen McCabe, founder of Future Women, a club helping women to connect, learn and lead. Over my career, I've run teams inside newspapers, edited a magazine and launched my own business. This has meant building a team from scratch, leading through difficult times and managing the odd crisis. I've never had any leadership training because I thought you were either good at leading or you weren't. I thought being decisive was a key metric for success. I was wrong and it led me to make simple but avoidable mistakes. In this series, I'm doing what I should have done years ago, reaching out to people who I admire, who have also successfully run teams across all types of industries. So I can ask their advice on some of the common leadership challenges. I'm quite practical and believe when it comes to success, nothing really beats hard work. But I also believe you are more likely to succeed at something if you have a clear goal. Or put another way, you are what you focus on. In this episode, I explore how to write your own success story with the founder of Pep Talk Her, Maggie Palmer. Maggie Palmer, welcome to the Future Women Leadership Series. You are coming to us from New York, which I'm super excited about because uh, I want to really discuss how you build a business today. And um, that is one thing, but uh, moving to New York is a, is a whole other level. Tell us, how did you come about launching Pep Talk Her? So I started my business out of frustration, which I think perhaps a lot of your listeners can relate to who've started business and perhaps even people who are thinking, well, maybe one day, maybe I might like to solve this thing that annoys me or kind of work on this project that I can see as a gap in the in the world and in the market. So for me, I used to be a journalist for a really long time, loved it, awesome job. Uh, and at one point in my journey at one of the networks, I found out that I was getting paid less than the guys who sat next to me in the newsroom. And I just thought they'd made a mistake. I was like, what? That's weird. Um, so I said something, just fi- thinking they'd just fix it. And they were like, well, you know what? If you don't like it, why don't you quit or take us to court? And so that was kind of the beginning. I stayed in journalism for quite a few years after that. But I guess that kind of like, st- not at that company. I left that company. But I was like, what are you talking? Like, what do you mean? Like, in you know, in the modern world, this is still happening, really, even though it's illegal, even though aren't we past that? And apparently we're not. It's still happening today. And so, yeah, it was just like I was pissed off, frankly. And so I was like, what can we do to, to solve it and to try and quicken the change of pace faster than, you know, the UN is saying it's somewhere between one and 200 years at the moment before we get to equality. And I just reckon that's rubbish. Uh, and so I was like, I'm not going to sit around. I'll just, I'll just try and create some change in the meantime uh, and try and, yeah, try and hope that we can get there maybe a little faster. So just to dwell on that particular moment for, for a second, because I can't let it go. So what was being said to you at the time was, if you don't like it, you know, we've given you an amazing job in television. You get to be a star. Therefore, we've got a thousand other Meggies that would happily take the job. That was the message, right? It's like you were in the room, Helen. It's like there's a script that like, you know, a thousand other journos have heard before me. Yeah, that's exactly. It was basically like, you don't like it, like, no worries. We've got a hell of a lot of folks out the back door who will happily scoop on in for half the price, you know? It kind of wasn't the point. I was like, it's actually the principle at this point. And it was actually a male ally who gave me the heads up about this particular situation. And he said to me, quote, unquote, Meggie, you didn't negotiate hard enough. And I've never forgotten that. Uh, and even though it was, it was a little bit of a less than ideal situation at the time, but I'm kind of grateful because actually 
that fork in the road has led me to be sitting here talking to you today, led me to be living in New York City, you know, where I feel like I'm, I am having an impact in the world. I felt like I was as a journalist too, but it's just, it's just different the way I have an impact now in the work that I do. Yeah, and you make another excellent point that those moments are the things that propel you forward. I do, however, wonder what you would have done differently. Like if you, if you knew that back then, like what, would you have handled it differently? Yes, I would have done things differently. You know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. And I, I think a lot of what I try and do in Pep Talk Her in terms of like supporting professional women, helping them to understand their value and know how to ask for it is like, I'm, I'm trying to teach people what I wish I knew. And I wish I knew like you should always send an email after every meeting, you know, reiterating what happened. So there's a paper trail. I wish I knew I didn't have to go in these meetings with the head of HR on my own because then he wouldn't have been able to bully me and all these things. With, there's no evidence. You know, I wish... I wish I knew there was no point in me getting the mediator first before I called a lawyer because they were never going to take me seriously unless I paid the most expensive lawyer in town. I wish I'd paid the most expensive lawyer in town instead of thinking that was too expensive and getting my my friend's brother to do it instead. You know, like all these things because the cues that I was giving them subconsciously was, I'm scared of this, I'm scared of you, you're bigger and better than me. And, and I wish I'd known that actually I should have just puffed out my chest and been like, no, this is illegal. You and I both know that. Let's Let's do this. So... Yes, I guess there's a lot of things I'd do differently. So you had the full-blown career crisis. You're at a network, you've got a privileged job. It is hard slog. So for anyone who's uh, not been a television news reporter, it is one of the two, I think one of the toughest things you could do in journalism. Probably not by any means the toughest thing you can do with your career, but in journalism, that pressure is intense in a big city. Um, so you're at the, you know, you're in a, you're in an incredible role. But it's all falling apart around you because you are in HR and you have had to find a lawyer and you, you're feeling under siege. Just talk us through a little bit about how you manage that because that must have been incredibly tricky period in your career. Yeah, and you know, it's funny because like my career was under siege, but it wasn't the work. Do you know what I mean? It was the circumstances of my, like it was kind of, it was nothing that I did. It was more that I dared say something. And, you know, I was very much raised, you know, I'm a product of the 80s, but I was very much raised that girls can do anything. And I genuinely believed that. And and I have to say, Helen, there is a lot of privilege that comes with the fact that really the first major discrimination I faced in my life, like, of course, there's the normal microaggressions that women unfortunately deal with. But the first big issue I had was when I was in my mid-20s in this particular situation. That's a privilege. You know, and I know that there's millions and millions of people out there and thousands and thousands of your listeners who, you know, experienced discrimination from day one, right? And I, I didn't. So I also think this is, it was a shitty situation and I appreciate that it's a first world problems in some ways, right, compared to things that other people are going through. Um, but yeah, it was very stressful at the time and I experienced anxiety for the first time in my life. I couldn't leave my apartment because I was so stressed by less the situation and more how they were handling it. And in terms of they were trying to make me feel intimidated and I know now that that's a tactic And it was a great tactic because it worked, you know, in many ways. So what I teach people now is like, this is a game. Make no mistake, there's a game going on. And if you understand the rules and how the game is played, it's fine because you don't get emotional about it. But because I didn't understand, because I was young and naive, I got them, I kind of believed it and I started to think that it was true what they were saying. But I realized now they were trying to psych me out, which they did very successfully in many ways. But look, again, no regrets in the sense that I did the right thing. and, And so I'm proud of that. And yeah, there's, there's some good that's come of it. 
Yeah, and I've just um, interviewed uh, Jeff Brown, who was a former uh, managing director of Nine and chair of Collingwood. And, you know, he was one of those people that I would ring in the middle of those negotiations myself. Who was the one who would say to me, it's a game. This is what's going on. Because in your 20s, like, and you've had a dream run, let's be honest, you've had a dream run, you are getting the jobs and you've got the degree and you're going places. When it starts to go bad, you're not particularly well equipped because of you haven't had that uh, that fall yet, which everyone needs to kind of get back up and discover what they really should be doing with their lives, which is not being in television. Now tell me, pep talk her, tell me about it. Tell me exactly what it does. And then I want to work out how you came to launch a business. Yeah. And you know, it's funny when you're at high school and even when you're at university or college to an extent, you're taught all these things like marketing frameworks and financial modelings and algebra, and no one tells you how to negotiate a salary, <laughs> let alone how to handle a dispute with your employer, which feels like one of those life skills we really probably should have been taught. And so in many ways, I'm trying to teach and impart those life skills to professional women through Pep Talk Her, which is my company. And it was really focused. We started out as a consumer business out there to help professional women. And that's still a lot of the work that we do. So really, our mission is to close the pay gap. And what that looks like is helping folks get paid more and promoted faster. And so we built an app that we launched with Vogue a couple of years ago, back in Australia, actually, about five years ago. And the premise behind the app is really that it's it's kind of like a period tracking app, but instead of tracking your cycle, it helps you track your work wins, right? And all those successes that you have. So like for you, it would be like podcast interviews, um, subscribers to future women, For folks listening, maybe it's like sales targets, percent year-on-year change in your social media engagement for the company you work for, all of those kinds of things. So you can put all of those metrics into the one place in the app and then you can export those and take that in with you for your performance review and pay review conversations so that you have data. Firstly, it does a bunch of things, right? It firstly um, becomes a nudge for you and a reminder to kind of focus on the positives rather than spiraling into the negatives and the bad feedback. And also, it's meat on the bone that you can use in negotiating and advocating for your career progression. Tell me about the launch. Of the business? Of the business. I want to know. What do you consider the launch? Because, you know, it depends if you get me or what day you get me. Because I'll say, oh, well, when I was doing this, I started to think this. Um, Because I think there's a long gestation period, right? Yeah, well, it's funny. So it was like a, it was actually a bit of a side hustle, kind of, when I was a journalist, but I was unofficially helping people negotiate and you know, friends of mine who were sacked while pregnant, on maternity leave, you know, similar things that what happened to me. You know, I, I had, this is more recently, but I had a client more recently who was a graduate, a grad program. And she found out that the male grads are earning 15K more than her. So anyway, I was helping people to navigate all these sort of situations. It wasn't a business then. We started the company in Australia and I was kind of doing some other stuff. And then I got a role at the Financial Times here in New York part-time. So I came over to do that. And then I was doing Pep Talk Her full-time. And then about five years ago, I quit the FT and was full-time on Pep Talk Her. So it was like, I don't know, there was not really, I don't even have an official launch date. I guess I could look it up when I officially started the business, but it's sort of a weird one. It just wasn't an official bang or anything like that. It was just more um, an organic process. Um, And I always say to people, if you're thinking about starting a business, like to me, a side hustle is a great way to test something out. Firstly, to see if you like it. Secondly, to see if anyone will pay you for what you're doing rather than sort of like taking a huge risk. That's for some people. It wasn't for me. So I sort of needed to prove to myself that I could do it a little bit while I had another job. And then that gave me the confidence to, to quit and to, to do it full time. What advice have you got to anyone listening today who's 
uh, in their full-time job, it's got a bit of a side hustle going. Like, I mean, I, I get very passionate about advice on this stuff because it's a fraught and exhilarating process. What's your advice that you give people who are thinking about starting their own business? I think for me, it's about like testing quickly and dirtily, you know? So like rather than, for example, we built the app, but we self-funded that through corporate work. So we were already working with corporates to help support them with their leadership pipeline to get more women into senior leadership roles. We do a lot with large corporates now here in the United States, in Asia, and also in Europe. So we sort of were testing it on the corporate side, and then that money allowed us to test to build the app. We built the app very cheaply, honestly. We didn't invest a heap of money. Is the app as beautiful and as perfect as I would like it to be? No. Was it what we could afford? Yes. And so, you know, I don't think you need to invest $50,000 or $100,000 or whatever to get started. I think there's things you can do for $500, $2,000, a Google form, a Google doc, you know, send me a DM on Instagram. There's so many ways you can just test. I was talking to a friend of mine, actually, she's an author. She's got an amazing book uh, and she's thinking about starting an online course. Uh, and we have an online course. We've had one for about four or five years now. And I was like, just test it. Just, just send an email newsletter and say that you're launching it in January and have a buy now button. And if anyone pays, build it. And if no one pays, don't build it. Do you know? Like, don't, like, and she's like, yeah, but what would I charge? I was like, it doesn't really matter. Like, we can figure out the pricing. But I was like, just send the email. And let's see. If 70 people buy it, you're building it. If three people buy it, you can decide, is it worth it? But like, let's just test it. So that's what I would say to people is like, just like test and figure it out and get comfortable asking people for money, asking people to pay you. Because, you know, it's one thing to do volunteer negotiation coaching like I was doing for a long time. It's a very different thing to get people to pay you for it. So when you talk about we, who's we in your company? Yeah. So at the moment, there's about six of us. Um, Not everyone is full-time. We have four full-time folks on the team uh, and we're a fully remote team. So we've never had an office. I used to have a WeWork back in the day, RIP WeWork. Or maybe not. Maybe it wasn't the best place anyway. That's a whole other story. But I, I had a WeWork office when I very first started in Sydney and I have a home office now. So we have an extra bedroom, which I use as an office, which is great. And then we have a bunch of contractors. There's like 12 contractors as well. So that's the other thing. Like you don't have to have full-time staff. So we can scale up and down. So when we're doing massive corporate contracts, we have a lot of um, our executive coaches and our facilitators come on for those project times. But then, you know, December is a quieter month for us. So that's fine. They take vacation and do other things like that. So yeah, we just scale up and down the team for the meantime. Let's give some practical advice about how you structure the business, um, which goes to the question I was asking about we. So you've bootstrapped it, you've put your own money into it, you've tested and you owned it? It's a good question. Yes. So I own 100% of the company. We have an entity in Australia and we also have an entity here in the US. I own 100% of both of those businesses. I did think, Helen, about raising capital. I did a few accelerator programs and a lot of them kind of want you to raise capital and it's all about scale, scale, scale. And that's great for some people. And one of the things I would say, if you're starting a business, like what sort of a life do you want? You know, because I could raise money maybe and, and try and scale to be a $100 million business, $300 million business. Like maybe there's some way, there probably maybe it would be tough, but there maybe would be ways to get there. But I decided I don't want that stress. Like I want to have a really successful business that makes a big impact. We want to be very profitable, 100%. But I want to have a life. I don't want to be stressed. I don't want to be breaking out in hives. You know, I've, I've got friends who've raised capital and it's, it's, some of them have done very well, but all of them have been very stressed. And I started talking to some venture capitalists and angel investors. Uh, and at, this is, again, a long time ago, five or six years ago. At the time, most of them were men because I didn't have many relationships with women angel investors then. And they would all say to me in some variation, like, 
you're closing the pay gap, but like, what's the problem that you're solving? And I was like, well, like we're closing the pay gap. They're like, yeah, but what's, what's the problem that your business solves? I was like, sorry, did you not hear what? And they're like, I just don't understand the problem. Like, why is this a business? And I was like, yeah, that, that is the problem, mate. So I would spend like, you know, 25 minutes of these 30-minute meetings explaining the statistics, helping them understand that the pay gap sits at somewhere between 12 and 20%, depending on the country, depending on how you crunch the numbers, what that, that impact is on women and then also in retirement and how there's this snowball effect and that actually if we could change that, it grows GDP, et cetera. And they just, they just didn't get it. And in the end, I was like, you know, I'm actually just going to go out and make money because I'm wasting my time having these conversations, educating you. So I have put probably, I don't know how much of my own money I would have been putting into the business, maybe like 50 to 100 grand, maybe, but not all at once. I sort of drip fed that bits and pieces over the first two or three years. I think I've paid all of that back to myself now. And if I haven't, I, I will definitely be doing that this financial year. So we've been profitable since the start. Uh, I haven't always taken a big salary, but I have always taken some money out of the business. And that's because a coach of mine said to me, She's like, you have to take a salary. And I was like, no, I've got to pay my staff and I need these technology things. And she's like, no, it's actually an intention. She's a little bit woo-woo and she was like, it has to be an energy exchange. You're working all of these hours and you need to be able to take some of that back for yourself. And I thought she was a bit of a hippie and I was like, ugh, annoying. But then I did it. I did. I think I started taking $50,000 or maybe $60,000. And actually there was a big shift. And I don't know if it was energetically, I don't know if it was mentally for me, but something did change at that point for the better. What sort of skills as a leader do you think you had instinctively to get you, you know, I guess to this point and what do you think you might need into the future? I had another business before I had Pep Talker. I had a media training company. That's kind of how I left journalism and was able to fund my way into figuring out Pep Talker. And uh, one of the things I did when I left journalism uh, was actually I spent probably about six months, not like, I guess it was a bit of a sabbatical, just trying to understand myself, really. I did a lot of uh, coaching with a strengths finders coach. Uh, I worked with a guy called Jason Biggs out of New Zealand, who's unbelievable. And he fundamentally shifted the way I look at myself as an individual, as a leader, as a professional who shows up at work. What I realized was where I wasn't so strong and that has allowed me, even today, I, I consult with Jason for advice on how to structure my team so that we have a variety of strengths. Because one of the mistakes that I, I have made and I continue to make to an extent I'm getting a little better is like hiring people like me. And so I hire these people who have the same strengths as me, which is really awesome, but like there's not enough jobs for us to do. You know, I actually need people that are really great at executing or really great on the small details of the business or, you know, I, I need to be better at hiring other folks. So yeah, for, for me, Gallup Strength Finders, I'm a massive evangelist about it. It's 20 bucks, 20 US dollars. You can do the quiz online, super powerful. And if you really want to supercharge that, I would, I would really suggest working with a strengths coach to coach you through those results and what that means for you so that you can figure out what people you need to surround yourself with. So you worked out that what you're good at, you worked out how to hire the people that were good at the stuff you weren't good at. Where do you feel your leadership strengths are today? And, and I ask this because it's quite loaded because I think I'm constantly challenged in terms of the next, you know, I have to get better at a whole bunch of other things as the business grows. Do you have that sensation? 
Yeah, I do. And you know, one of the things that I love about having a business is that it's such a journey. And I actually love the journey. Like I love it when we weren't making any money and I had to be so scrappy and figure out how to send an invoice. I didn't know what an invoice was. Like I knew what it was, but I didn't know what it looked like. I had to Google image invoice and then figured out zero and all of these things. Like I love the journey. And even now we're much more successful. Like I'm much more relaxed financially because things are going really well. But like even now, like the, I'm loving the journey. So I, I think, yeah, getting really comfortable with that journey is important because otherwise, if you just have this financial goal or whatever and, and you don't have fun along the way, I, I just kind of don't see what the point is. But to your point, I was actually doing a, um, running a big uh, leadership summit the last two days for a large pharmaceutical company over here. And I was talking to their CEO and he was telling me a story of when he was uh, earlier in his career, he was identified very early on as a high potential leader. And his company paid for him to have an executive coach who would meet him at the door of the office every day for a couple of weeks a year. And he, this coach followed him around everywhere, to the bathroom, to lunch, when he went on phone calls, when he was in meetings, when he was in boardrooms with clients everywhere. And this coach gave him consistent feedback, like, you should have held the door open, that was inappropriate. The way you spoke to that client was good, this is what could make it better. Like, just constant feedback. It was pretty intense. And this this gentleman um, was telling me he still works with this coach 10 years on and he still gives him that feedback. He flies over to America a couple of times a year to spend a few days with him to, to give him that really constant feedback, which I just found fascinating. I've never heard of anything like this before. We do a lot of coaching, but it's never that intense. It's um, We don't follow people around for weeks on end. And I thought that was interesting because he's super, super senior now and he can still see like the learnings and the leadership lessons that he still needs to learn. And because I was asking him the, the biggest turning point he's made in his leadership journey because I'm trying to learn from other folks, right? I've done a lot of coaching. I always have coaches, plural, typically. Uh, at the moment, I'm actually in between coaches. I've just finished up with um, a productivity systems coach, which I really liked. He was great. Uh, and I'm about to start with another coach in January. So for me, I'm always looking for coaches to help support me in different areas. And that also sort of satisfies another part of me. I have an activator as one of my strengths. So I'm always looking for new things and new ideas. And having different coaches bring different wisdom, which I can sort of learn from and take into the business, I find it, it keeps me engaged and keeps me interested and helps us to kind of grow in different areas and flex in different ways, depending on what the coach can, can teach me. So when you're doing a big leadership coaching session and you're giving a speech, what are, what are the sorts of key messages do you uh, hope for your audience to take away? So... When we're doing, when I'm doing one-on-one -on -one executive coaching, it's very different. Like sometimes there's a crisis, sometimes it's at work, sometimes there's a career crisis, sometimes it's more of an ongoing thing around confidence or leadership skills or, you know, conflict or managing different personalities. It depends. That's all very bespoke and different. But a lot of the speaking that I do to organizations or conferences and stuff like that is around career and really around like driving your career. Because I think one of the things that no one teaches you is that like you actually have agency in your career. And I think a lot of the times we think, oh, well, the company has all the power because they're big and fancy and powerful and they pay my check every month. But actually, as an individual contributor, you have value to add, right? And if you were no good at your job, they would fire you. If you haven't been fired, you are making a contribution and you are valuable to that business, which means that you do, to an extent, have some leverage. And so understanding that, I think, is the first really powerful step to accept and to appreciate that you absolutely have value, which means you can negotiate, which means you can ask for things, but you have to make the ask. You can't sit there and expect that your manager is going to be like, let me tap you on the head and say, come with me, I'm going to promote you. That might happen. You might get that, you know, 
one in a thousand boss who's great and who does that. And I've had one of those bosses in my career and I'm so grateful for her. But not everyone has that. And so actually being able to steer your career in a direction that you would love it to go, whether that looks like opportunities, whether that looks like flexible working conditions, just understanding that you actually can make a choice and can have those conversations in a way that doesn't have to be aggressive, doesn't have to be combative. It can actually just be a conversation about what your needs are, what you're excited about, and where you would love your future to be in the company. Now, they might say no, but they might surprise you, right? And they might be really interested in helping support you to get there. One of the things you talk about is how to write your own success story. Do you write your own success story? Like, does does Maggie Palmer sit home at night going, okay, my success story is this for the next five years? Or, you know, is it is it more organic than that? Um, I think, you know, there's been some research done that people who write down their goals, I can't remember the exact stat. I actually just read this in a book last week. It's 30 to 40% more likely to achieve your goals if you actually write them down. And I'm not a goal writing of, you know, some people have been doing that since they were 18 and they always do. I haven't been doing that except for more recently. So even before every client, I write an intention and a goal, three goals for how I want that experience to go for them and, and for me and for the business, right? So I am more intentional now. But in terms of my career, I write my success story in the sense of I remind myself every single day that I get to control and I am in control of how I respond to things. So there's, of course, disappointments. There's good months, there's bad months in the business, but I am in control of how I respond to that, right? And I can choose to be angry and pissed off and to wallow, or I can choose to be like, okay, well, that actually makes sense because that's a reflection of, you know, the quality of my work this month, or that makes sense because, you know, the economy's down, so it's all normal, and I have the capacity to create something new, to fix that revenue hole, or I have the capacity to hire someone new who actually can help us achieve that goal better. So for me, it's actually, you know, writing your success story and driving your career, to me, in some ways, is actually more of a mindset thing rather than like in five years, we're going to be, you know, 20 staff and we're going to be X million in revenue. For me, it's more about like the mindset of how I'm going to show up regardless of what those twists and turns look like. And I think everyone can do that in their career. You always have a choice. Like some, I appreciate as well, if you've got a savings, um, you know, if you've got a nest egg saved, you have more of a capacity to, to choose to leave. And if you don't have that, you can make a choice to start to create that so that as and when it gets to the point where you want to leave, you can then make that choice, you know? I remember telling a a board member of Future Women um, in the early days, and he asked me how it was going. And I said, well, it depends on what day you ask me. I said, you're asking me today, and I feel amazing about it today. But if you'd asked me yesterday, I would have felt quite depressed because, you know, and it's really, nothing's changed actually between the two days. There's no extra sales order or no new hire that's taken a huge weight off my mind. It's just really my mindset. And he was funny because he ran a very big company at the time. And he said, I feel exactly the same way. Like some days I think the company I'm running is flying and then the same time the next day I'm depressed about it. So I think there is um, a lot about mindset and how you frame the problem. But in terms of how you write your own success, I had a call this morning from someone who said, that's got a problem running his own business. And I talked about him feeling miserable And I just said, why are you there? Like, just get out. You've got enough agency and um, personal savings to just leave. And he said back to me, I no longer intertwine my professional success with my personal success. I am not defined by it. 
It was powerful. I think that's interesting for all of us to reflect on, actually. Is your personal happiness, like, anchored to your professional success or happiness? That's really interesting, isn't it? I'm asking you that question. Well, I need to think about this because I think in the early days, I was really bad at that. And also, I had no boundaries because, you know, phones are great because you can work from anywhere, which is cool if you're in Mexico, but it's sort of annoying if you're on the couch and you're supposed to be having quality time with your family or friends. And instead, you're like, it's just not, I don't, I don't like that. And I'm trying to get better at having boundaries around um, my phone. And actually, we're buying a lockbox in our house because we need the, the physical removal of the device. I think I've done a pretty good job of separating the, the two now. I, I understand that like as an individual, as individual Maggie, separate from any business or whatever, I, am abs- I feel very comfortable with who I am. I'm very proud of myself as a human. The business stuff I love doing and that's great and that's additive. And also if it was taken away tomorrow, I would be okay. I've had to work pretty hard to get to that point. I was taking a lot of coaching <laughs> to get there. And also surrounding myself with a lot of great people in business who can, who can help cheer you on and support you through those bad days that you mentioned, Helen. You know, I had to your point around that conversation with your friend or, or colleague who was hating their work. I had a friend of mine, she quite likes her work, but she's burnt out. She's like, I just, I want to just crawl up in a ball and just like live on a beach for a year. And I said to her, like, why don't you do it? Like, she's turning over a close on seven figures anyway. I was like, you can afford to take a year off. Just take a year off. And she was like, what? And I was like, yeah, you actually have permission to do that. You have, especially as a business owner, you have permission and the capacity and the agency to make those decisions. And all of us do, right? In any career that we're in, we have the capacity to actually need to press pause for a sabbatical for two months or paid or unpaid leave. Like I think realizing what we want to be happy and healthy and successful is important because if we keep working, working, working and burning ourselves out, it's no good to you and your family, but it's also no good to your employer. You know, most employers would prefer that you say, hey, I'm reaching a breaking point. Potentially, I might need a week or two vacation, like, you know, just in order for me to be able to stay here long term. Like one of my staff members, even early on, she was like, I'm going to need a month off because I'm reaching burnout because we were so busy and understaffed. And I was like, yeah, do it. And we're going to figure it out because it's actually more important. Your mental health and your physical health is more important than this business. This is just a business, but like look after yourself first. I think that's really crucial. I'm going to um, summarize this chat and get you to give me your the top or most common leadership challenges that you you come across and also your most considered advice on how to start a business. So let's start with the most common leadership challenges that you come up against. So I think I work predominantly with women. And I think the one thing that comes up consistently, it doesn't matter if you're the CEO or a CFO of a listed company or if you're a new graduate, I find a lot of people that I coach need permission. They're looking for permission to change jobs. They're looking for permission to have a tough conversation. I had a client uh, two days ago, she was looking for permission to go $5,000 over on a budget of $300,000. And when we broke that down by a percentage, we realized that's it's like, it doesn't even matter. It's just like an inconsequential amount of money. You're allowed to go over budget by like a tiny, tiny percent. Like that's okay. You know, asking for permission to be able to just be in the workplace Whereas the men that I deal with, they don't need permission. They just do it. They bulldoze through and they apologize later if they need to, which I think is tied to imposter syndrome and confidence and the way that we're socialized from a really young age, which is probably a whole nother conversation, Helen. But I think the biggest challenge that I see in women that I coach and that we work with in our programs at Pet Talk Her is around confidence and understanding, like, you don't need permission. You're awesome. People have hired you for your value and your intellect and your wisdom. They want you to go forth and prosper. You don't need to wait for anyone else's permission to do that. So that would be the biggest thing that I see that comes up. 
And your top tips for starting your own business? Mm, my top tips for starting your own business is make sure you get a support crew around you. So even that as simple as, you know, whether it's joining future women, joining a Facebook group of women in business, uh, texting a friend or a family member who has their own business, getting some support people around you because they'll be able to help you avoid a lot of very simple mistakes and they'll know a lot of the shortcuts that will really help you get where you want to go faster. Maggie Palmer, what is your superpower? You know what's really interesting? I actually had a mentor, well, I have a mentor and he has a branding agency and he went through this process for me years ago, just before I was starting the business. So back when I was, I think I'd just left journalism and he interviewed people and unraveled all these things. And he came up with, uh, he came up with this catch cry that he said that I'm a confidence creator. And that stuck with me ever since. And I, th- I think that is my superpower. I think I help people I help people remove blockages that are blocking them in life or at work and I help them see their own superpowers, right, and help them shine. So I like that phrase that he came up with and I'm a confidence creator. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with that one. Uh, fabulous to connect with you all the way from New York um, and taking the time to, to connect with us. And to everyone who's listening, Pep Talk Her, go and have a look and I'm going to take away the uh, get a coach like, and get lots of them. Thanks so much, Helen. This podcast was recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Executive producer is Jennifer Goggin. Series producer is Holly Mitchell and audio imaging by Nat Marshall. <laughs>